Yikes. 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 My name is Grant Hansen, alongside Landon Wirt, and this is Scarlet Fever. Husker football struggled once again on the road at Minnesota, losing 30-23. to The only solace for the Huskers is that this week is a bye week, or is that even solace at all? Husker Volleyball continued their dominance this last week, but now the meat of the schedule is ahead, and winter is coming. Purdue is on the docket next. We tackle that stretch ahead for the program. Last but not least... Husker Women's Soccer is nearing the end of the regular season already. We update you on where they stand and look ahead to the postseason. But first, we begin with the positive. As we do every week, it's time for the best thing that we saw. Hey, all welcome back to another episode of Scarlet Fever. You can follow my co-host Landon Wirt on Twitter at Landon Wirt, again spelled L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. You can find me at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. Again, H-A-N-S-E-N 15 underscore Hanson. Don't forget, this is a daily Nebraskan podcast, so give at Daily NEB and at DN Sports a follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. Once again, at Daily NEB and at DN Sports. Well, it's another week, Landon, and we begin once again with the positive, the best thing that you saw this week. Yeah, uh, we had the opportunity to go to Minneapolis for the Nebraska-Minnesota game. The experience was really cool. Minnesota is a very, very aesthetically pleasing state in the fall. There were multiple points on the drive where we drove through some some lines of trees that were just decked out in all the fall colors, and Minnesota is just very pretty. That was cool, but the best thing I saw was on the drive. So we went through, we snaked through Omaha and Iowa and then went up to Minnesota as the, as the route, as the route takes us. And we stopped in Des Moines for lunch and growing up when I would play club soccer tournaments in Des Moines, we would always stop at this place called the Tasty Taco. It's this restaurant. uh, I think it's a bit of a chain in Iowa, right um, in Des Moines, a couple of other locations in the state. They have these fluffy shell tacos that are the big fried Fluffy shells, a really huge menu, but I remember it being absolute fire. It's so good. So I suggested, hey, we're going to be stopping in Des Moines around lunchtime. Let's go to the Tasty Taco because it's incredible. Right. And my recommendation did not disappoint, and the food was just as good as I remembered it. I tweeted out a picture of my meal. It was fantastic. The tacos were so good. We got some chips and cheese, which were a little basic, but the food was awesome we wanted to stop on the way back but i forgot that they're closed on sundays but that experience at the tasty taco it was incredible 11 out of 10 would recommend if you're ever in the des moines area or in some of their other locations in iowa and need a bite to eat the tasty taco tasty taco tasty taco the puffy shells are heavenly it was so good and that meal was the best thing i saw slash experienced this week i gotta go with it's the month of October, and I and I didn't realize really, uh, you know how good of a month this is for sports until we hit the bye week this week, and it, this is really the one time of the year where you have every major sport going at the same time, baseball, football, uh, you know the NBA started this week, and these two weeks. Plus a little bit in November, depends on how long the World Series goes. Uh, you're going to be able to turn the TV on every night, and there's going to be a really, really good entertaining sporting event on there to watch. Uh, you know, the stakes aren't as high in the NBA games at this point in the game, but 
You know, it's there's always entertainment. College basketball is right around the corner. November's a close second, I think, for me in terms of sports months. I can't really fully count it in there because the World Series is done at that point. That doesn't necessarily line up next to October. But I, I got to go with October number one, November a close second. Uh, we'll throw... Uh, it's tough between February and March for me because you got Super Bowl and March Madness. To, that That's like a tie at three. Yeah, October is really good. And the thing that you really have to think about with how just whack the COVID scheduling of things was and how many weird things were in weird places. November was really good last year because, like, the Masters was happening and, like, right. all of this other good stuff. But October is really good. It's been fun to catch up on regular season hockey, regular season NBA, the playoffs in baseball. There's, you know, that, that Braves-Dodgers series as we record this on Thursday slightly in the afternoon could be over and the Braves could be pulling this huge upset of the Dodgers World Series college football NFL all this good stuff is going on yeah it's hard to argue with the fact that October is the best best month of sports and did you watch more hockey this week yeah I did I was actually watching the uh, Golden Knights and the Blues last night Uh, my roommate's a big Blues guy the Kraken have not gotten off to a great start they've been playing a lot though they played I think four four games in the first nine or ten days of the NHL season they wanted to get them that national exposure early they've got a like three or four days off now. The first home game is Saturday night. I won't be able to watch, but I'm hoping that they beat the Canucks. So, yes, I've been maintaining that. And I was also very sad because the Pistons played yesterday, but Cade Cunningham did not. He is hurt. So mm. I'm going to have to wait for Cade's season. Yeah, so. I know. I guess that's a part of the – I don't know how many of the listeners are keyed in on that. That uh, Landon, at the beginning of last year, the NBA draft said, whoever drafts Cade Cunningham, he's going to be a fan of. Yeah. Well, I happen to be the Pistons. Yeah, so sadly. <laughs> but, yeah, I know. He played well against the Bulls last night. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that the Bulls are going to be one of the surprise sleeper teams of the East based on all the talent that they've added and the returning pieces they had. You know, will be about 500. Yeah, they'll be. They got DeMar DeRozan and <laughs> Caruso, I guess, uh, and Vooch. Vooch. But Vooch yeah. was there last year, too. Uh, the Bulls, so the, the fact that the Pistons were able to hang with them, that's a good start, right? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Well, my my uh, my Memphis Grizzlies took uh, took care of the Cleveland Cavaliers last night. So, yeah, you know, a lot. Mobley had a good game for them. Yeah, a lot of teams will be taking care of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. <laughs> I saw they rolled out a really weird starting lineup in which they, they deployed Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and Lori Markkinen, and at least two of those three pieces seem very, very repetitive right. uh, in that the Jared Allen and Mobley are similar players. Mobley's obviously, you know, the higher ceiling. But. And uh, Delano Banton made his NBA debut last night at a half-court Yeah, that was shot. awesome. I was looking at the box, I was like, Delano hit a three. Like, wow, the NBA's really changing him. But then I saw it was a half-court. I'm like, okay, but still, awesome for him. The, the, hometown, the hometown guy making his debut in Toronto. So that was cool for him. I, I was joking with my roommates. Like, they do the Huskers in the NFL at Memorial Stadium. Let's start doing oh, Huskers. He's gonna in, be on it. Yeah, Huskers in the NBA, it. baby. Do it at PBA, but it'll also be at Memorial too. Delano and Isaiah Roby are doing good things early on yeah. for their respective NBA teams, which is really cool. And we're gonna get into more men's basketball next week, but there's a there's a Husker basketball freshman named Bryce McGowan's that will be joining those two in the NBA sooner rather than later. Yeah, I know. Really excited to get into that. Landon and I will be on that beat this uh this winter, and so that's gonna be a lot of fun and We'll get into a preview next week, but now we turn our attention to maybe some more somber things and a reaction really to what was a mystifying loss in Minneapolis this weekend. Huskers 
were basically dead in the water from the start. They lose 23 or 30 to 23 to Minnesota. Uh, of course, the offense drives down there right down at the end. Almost a bad beat if there wasn't actually a line. Uh, that Austin Island catch, of course, made the game a one-score game when it really wasn't. Uh, this thing was over from really, I think, most most people thought it was over in the first half. Came out strong in the second half and managed to rally, but just enough to really just disappoint everybody again uh, in the fan base side of things. From the media side, it's just hard to figure out how this team continues to perform this way. Yeah, it's getting really, really hard to write columns because it seems like every single week, no matter how you try to spin it, it's the same things that are going wrong that are ultimately contributing to Nebraska losses. And it gets hard to repeat that same narratives because, I mean, if the team's losing in the same ways, you write in the same ways, but that gets boring. I don't really know what to make other than I was just absolutely flabbergasted (laughs) by the result of Saturday's game. Everything lined up for Nebraska to close its season strong, and I don't know if it was a combination of just tired legs after playing for seven consecutive weeks or the team not being up for an 11 a.m. game, which at this point with this cast of characters is almost inexcusable because of the veter- all the veteran leadership right. on Nebraska's team right. or coaching or self-inflicted wounds or anything. It just all happened again. I mean, the thing that I've been coming back to and what I wrote about in my column after the Minnesota game is the narrative after some of these losses has been, oh, well, it's been one issue, right? It's been just the offensive line's fault or it's just been the special team's fault. But in reality... All of these units are making errors every single week. They may not be making the error, the big error that ultimately contributes to a Nebraska loss, but all of these units are making mistakes. On Saturday, the offensive line had a false start penalty on a third and five late in the game with Nebraska driving that ultimately turned to a third and ten. It's harder to pick up a third and ten than a third and five, of course. Nebraska didn't pick it up. Special teams, of course, was bad. That's the main takeaway from this one. Connor Colt making from 50 and then missing from 27 and then also an extra point. And then it's the late game execution again that you can point to as well, kind of with the offensive line. Adrian Martinez taking that horrific safety in the end zone. Right. Uh, really just a bad decision with the football. And then throwing to a vacant side of the field where he knew he didn't have any guys running. All of those things are making mistakes. And you might point to just the special teams, but once again, as we've seen in past weeks, all of these errors are happening with all of these units. And that's how you lose football games. Winning teams don't, that doesn't happen to winning teams. Yeah, I thought that was really mystifying in a lot of ways. I You could tell. I mean, on the first series, you could tell this was going to be a lot closer than either of us predicted uh, the week before. And it's just hard to, to to really put a beat on this team. I think in a lot of ways they played to the level of their competition. At least that's what they've done so far this year. But you know, we talked about last week how the Illinois game in many ways feels like an outlier. And then nope. Minnesota was very, very similar in terms of the team's general performance. Yeah, um, and that starts right from the opening kickoff. I mean, I think it was Sam McEwen that noted in his column post game that Nebraska got the ball first and its opening drive lasted 45 seconds. Right. Three and out instantly. 
you're basically giving Minnesota the ball twice to start the game. When you face a team that doesn't have one area it does extremely well, like Minnesota and like Illinois, but does everything... You know, with Minnesota, when you look at their offensive structure, nothing they do is a 10 out of 10. Michigan State running the ball, 10 out of 10. Oklahoma, the big play in the passing game, a 10 out of 10. Buffalo running, a 10 out of 10 in terms of how they like to run their offense. When you come across a team like Nebraska has that doesn't have 10 out of 10s, but has a lot of 7 out of 10s across the board, that's where Nebraska's kind of struggled. And and Minnesota doesn't have anything spectacular about their offense going into the game. I mean, Chris Ottman-Bell is a fine receiver, and Tanner Morgan is a fine quarterback. But Nebraska's defense just lacked punch from the beginning, which we also saw against Illinois in stretches. But that Especially was, in the second half against Illinois. I, I would say this was their flattest first half oh by yeah. far of the year. Yeah. And that was mystifying to me because, you know, I don't know where you attribute that. You know, I mean, like, a lot of times, I think what we expected, even though we didn't really say it on the podcast, uh, was that this team would really, really be playing for Eric Schnander and be playing with a lot of energy, and that just wasn't there at the start. It was there in the second half. They forced a couple of turnovers. Tanner Morgan gave them a couple of gifts. Uh, But, you know, the first half, that was not the defense that we'd been used to seeing. No, it was flat. Minnesota was able to do whatever it wants. Tanner Morgan... Looked like, I mean, Aaron Rodgers out there essentially just, I mean, Aaron Rodgers probably is, Tom Brady more so. Just picking apart Nebraska's defense with short completion after short completion. He set a Minnesota program record for most consecutive completions. Play action pass. Yeah, no no matter how you slice it, it's just not good. It was really disappointing for me because it seemed like Nebraska's defense was going to be this team's calling card. And in situations where the offense is sputtering in games, you could turn to the defense for a big play or two and outside of cam taylor Britt in the first half and again and that play that play saved the game yeah it should be noted that 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 ctb had his second consecutive good performance and is really looking to be rounding into form which is good but in the first half yeah uh he was he was making plays and seemed to be the only one on the defense that was there and ready to play it was a really flat first half. I don't know what's happening with the offense and why it looked so bad, but it did. Yeah, uh, I don't really have any answers. And, you know, the the lack of juice is kind of a lame excuse for me because for as veteran heavy as Nebraska is, they've been in this situation eight or ten times probably, uh, at least with the current group together under Frost. The fact that they just don't have juice, to me, just isn't an acceptable excuse or reason for why the first half was just so bad in every single facet of play. I think and I think Dirk Chatlin hit on this pretty well in his column, which I really liked after the game. Um, but I think the most disappointing thing to me about that game is it was a chance for this team and this coaching staff to earn the trust of the fan base uh, and, and to say... Nope, we're going to take care of business. Like, we may fall short against top 10 teams in our schedule, uh, and we may be right there in those games, but when we come up against a lesser opponent, we're going to win. And that just didn't happen. They just totally, totally blew that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Illinois and Minnesota are not good teams, which is the weirdest thing of all of this. 
And I don't know what that makes Nebraska. Nebraska's biggest opponent each week seems to be itself. You can slice it however you'd like with whatever unit you want to assign blame to. It's different every week, It's different every week, but all of it, all of these games, every single one of them, no matter what weird things happen or what units makes mistakes, it all seems to come back to Nebraska with the ball, down a score with under five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and number two under center. Why? What I've been struggling to grasp is why is it that every single time, or almost every single time, that group, those that personnel, that coaching staff can't figure out a way to call the right plays or make the right decisions from the player's perspective to put the team in a position to win. That's the thing to me that I just haven't been able to figure out, and it's been eating at me. Not, well, I mean, not eating at me, but it's been something that's been on my mind because it doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense that you can be in this situation so many times and yet always come out on the wrong side. I don't get it. Like, Minnesota and Illinois are teams that you should be beating, and the situations that Nebraska's get, been put in all these times hasn't been great. Like, the Illinois situation and the Oklahoma situation late in those games, down eight with, like, no timeouts and 40 seconds left, those are a lot tougher to manage. Right. Could some quarterbacks in college football do it? Probably. I mean, I'd like... a you know, at least four or five uh, current college quarterbacks on that list to do it. But it's not easy. There are other times, like Minnesota or Michigan State, where as an offense you have to be, or against Michigan both times, you have to be able to make the plays necessary to put your team in a position to either tie or win the game. That, to me, is the most disappointing thing, in addition to Nebraska not being able to handle the teams it should handle. And on top of that... Nebraska had four opportunities, including that last drive Mm. down 21-16 with about four minutes or so left in the game, to either tie or take the lead. You gotta punch one of those in. Doesn't matter how, you have to take advantage of those opportunities. So, not being able to do that. What do you make of going, a lot of people were frustrated with going from the shotgun on that fourth and one with Yant. I didn't. I didn't dislike it because it was blocked well, it was executed, everything would have worked if Yant just didn't trip, and you know you got your freshman 245-pound running back going downhill with some head of steam against a 210-pound safety with an inch, basically, to get. I mean, like I, I like those odds nine times out of ten if he doesn't trip, and that's just what happened. Teams do it. Like, n- <laughs> no, this isn't, you know, 2004 where everyone is still going under center like 85% of the time offensively. Teams go out of shotgun on the goal line. I mean, even just last night when I was watching Coastal Carolina play Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina was a top 15 team. They go on, they both, I mean, both Coastal and App State, they go under shotgun on the goal line. I know it's not the best example to compare Sunbelt, but I mean, you see teams do it. Bama does it. All of the Oklahoma does it. No one's going under shotgun or no one's going under center all the time in those situations. So. And it's and, not something Nebraska's two, comfortable sense, with. It makes sense that, you know, if Adrian had a bum ankle, which he did uh, for that game, 
You to, wouldn't want to put him in that situation. No, because then you get, you know, crunched immediately, and that would not be good. Plus, you run into issues with the quarterback-center exchange if it's not something you practice And, and I, I get the vibe, too, that there are some other things that Frost alluded to yesterday during his media availability that Adrian might be dealing with that he'll reveal at a later date or talk about at a later date or can comment on at that time. Uh, my thing, especially in regards to the Martinez injury, and if you weren't aware... Uh, if I remember correctly, the timeline is injured, rolled it on Wednesday or Tuesday, had a couple of days off or a day or two or so in a walking boot, practiced before uh, the, they left to Minnesota, uh, and then played. So I had about basically one practice. Yeah. Um, so, and then the thought was, well, we, that limited what we could do in the run game. Well, you know, my thought was, why why not bring Logan Smothers in for those run plays, right? Why not bring him in to run the option or him in uh, for any of those design runs? Because we saw Minnesota do the same thing with Kramer, and certainly Minnesota wouldn't be prepared for it. And Michigan has done the same right. thing too. And it's like, okay, the guy comes in, and immediately you're thinking, well, he's probably going to run. And nine times out of ten, he does. But the one time that Kramer didn't run, he threw a beautiful play-action touchdown pass. Uh, for, I think it was the first score of the game for Minnesota. It was, Minnesota. yeah. It was a fourth and one from the Nebraska yeah. five. So, like, my thing is, like, okay, you, then you just don't trust Smothers. Or you just didn't think of it, which is also bad. But, I mean, I think not trusting Smothers <laughs> is probably the more likely side of that. I don't I, know. It was very confusing to me. It's like, if you knew this ahead of time, and you knew that Adrian wasn't going to be 100%, why why limit the playbook? Why just not just bring in your other quarterback that – you know, if you feel confident in him. And Nebraska should have felt confident in Logan Smothers unless he's been ripping off bad weeks of practice. Every time that we've seen him in games, he's looked pretty good. I mean, if, you'd lo- if you're looking for a guy that can take over some of those rushing duties and take, take some hits, for lack of a better word, and leave Adrian to, you know, be more of a passer, I think you have to do it. And if Nebraska's coaching staff didn't, think of that and just left Adrian out there kind of kind of to dry that's bad <laughs> really bad because if your quarterback's on a walking boot yeah you're probably not going to be comfortable running him so put someone in there that does just so that can be established and that threat can always be there that wasn't good I do think that Logan Smothers knowing what we know now Logan Smothers definitely should have been more involved that was a pretty bad. I mean, hindsight is always, always, always twenty twenty, of course. Right. But I, I would have liked to see that, knowing what we know now. So that was pretty disheartening to me. Yeah, and, and again, I thought that afterwards, um, you know, after yesterday's comments, that was the biggest takeaway uh, or thing I noticed. The other thing that was interesting from yesterday too was Frost's response to PJ Flex's comments post game. Flex said uh, that it was culture beating talent on Saturday he said that post game uh, or maybe either earlier in the week and Frost's response to that was basically I thought they had some they've got some talented players too and I thought our culture is I don't know if he said fine but he didn't think that was the difference um which was interesting so I I don't know what to make of this like this weird cold war between PJ Fleck and Scott Frost where they're like, you think back to the Scott Frost sloganeering comment from Big Ten Media Days, like those two have always kind of like 
butted heads and it's been a very soft rivalry. Uh, but you can tell like there's a serious amount of animosity there between the two programs. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, those I, I do not think that PJ they certainly won't be inviting each other to Thanksgiving dinner, right. uh, Fleck and Frost. There was a moment in that game uh, in the first half after Minnesota tried that double reverse flea flicker to Morgan. Nebraska, right on its next drive, did a little reverse thingy of its own to Xavier Betts. And I noted as like, that feels like a funny little Scott Frost jab at PJ Fleck. Like, oh, you guys can't run it? Like, we can. So, yeah, in terms of the comments, the culture beats talent. It's it's waters that I really don't want to delve too deep into. The culture at Minnesota has has been what it is under Fleck. He has his his sayings and his phrases, and f- to his credit, he's got a team that that's bought into it. You know, you can say what you want about PJ Fleck, and I personally think he's a bit eccentric and a bit corny, but it's hard to argue with the results. Right. <laughs> and you know, those who live in Glass houses shouldn't cast stones, and Nebraska's house is made of the finest china right now. And you can say what you want about Minnesota, but the bottom line is PJ Fleck is three and one against you so far in the Big Ten, and Minnesota's had more recent success in the Big Ten than Nebraska has. I mean, at least looking at the within the scope of Frost's tenure. So to say that culture beat ta- beats talent. If if that's how Fleck wants to make it, then you know to his guys that's what they see when Minnesota and Nebraska. Well, and get I together. think I think the biggest thing for me too is that you know Nebraska has given PJ Fleck opportunities to say stuff like that over and over and over right. again, and, and it's hard to say that what he's saying isn't true because they keep winning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, history is written by the victors. Yeah. Nebraska is is Nebraska a more talented team than than Minnesota? I think they I think, absolutely. I think Nebraska that's true. Is. Yes, but it's hard. Like PJ Fleck can say whatever he wants because he's three and one against Scott Frost. That's right. the bottom line of this conversation. If Scott Frost is so angry or not so angry, but just so rubbed the wrong way by how Minnesota operates under Fleck, then beat him. Then you can say all the the sloganeering comments and things of the like. You can say whatever you want to say after the game. But if that's how Minnesota and PJ Fleck make it out to be, then that's what they get to say because they win. So, I mean that 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 I guess is what I have to say about that. But. Yeah, it was it's interesting. It's just again this kind of this weird cold war between the two coaches where neither one of them will outright say that they don't like each other, but you could just kind of tell like there's there's a little bit of yeah. some animosity there. Well, I, I think the biggest thing after this week is where do you go from here? Three and five. You know, the mountain is pretty tall to climb. You're going to have to beat at this point to go to a bowl game. At least two ranked teams, if, if Purdue keeps rank, keeps their ranking, uh, we'll see. They have to beat Wisconsin this week to do that. Uh, but you'll have to beat at least two ranked teams at Wisconsin on the road to get to a bowl game. That's a tall, tall task for a coach that has yet to beat a ranked team in four years. Yeah, um, that possibility of five and seven is still out there. I don't know. That's a, a bridge we can cross more when we get there. But I am inclined to think that if Nebraska does finish the regular season five and seven and a bowl game is offered, I think Frost will jump at the opportunity and take it. Neither here nor there. But yeah, the mountain is is steep. Nebraska has done itself no favors this season in losing games it probably should have won. I mean, the top three right now, 
power rankings, top three games Nebraska should have won, Michigan State, uh, Minnesota, then Illinois, just in order. Now that you've missed those opportunities, and, and really all season and its losses, but those three stick to mind most, yeah, the, it's going to be very, very challenging. And if I were to rank Nebraska's odds, because there's no chance Nebraska beats Ohio State. I'm, I'm going to go on the record right now in saying yeah, that Nebraska has – I know that Nebraska's been able to play up to its competition this year, but the way Ohio State's rounding back into form, Nebraska has no shot against them. Now that we've established that, you have Purdue, you have Iowa, you have Wisconsin. Purdue is an enigma. Uh, they're ranked, of course, coming off of a big win against a team it seems to always get the better of in Iowa. But on the counter side of that, the Huskers have always seemed to play pretty well against Purdue. So I think that Nebraska I, I think Nebraska will be favored in that game at home. Wisconsin's a different story. I don't know. I really don't know what to make of the Badgers. Uh, I don't care how good or bad they are, but going into Camp Randall has proven just really difficult for Nebraska, so I can't say that I like their chances there. And then who knows what Iowa's going to be. I'm really curious as to monitoring them, monitoring them in the coming weeks because, holy cow, uh, things could go one of two ways there, uh, either staying the course or just absolutely plummet. So... I don't know. I, I don't really think – I think it's – I'm giving Nebraska a 20% chance of winning three games to get to a bowl. One more prognostication before we move on to 1-2. And you here on Scarlet Fever, Grant Hansen and Landon Wirt. Here's where it sits for me. Between three possible outcomes on the year for Scott Frost and his coaching staff, uh, option one, everybody is retained. Uh, option two, uh, everybody is fired. And option three, Frost is retained but is required to make changes at certain assistant coach positions uh, as dictated by Trev Alberts. If I had to put percentages on it right now, at this point left in the year, uh, five games left, I think. Four. Four games left. Sorry, four games left. Uh, I would say 5% chance that everybody's retained. This outcome probably requires Nebraska going 6-6 six and six and qualifying for a bowl and being pretty competitive against Ohio State. Pretty unlikely, I think. Uh, option two, just about 20%, 25%. Uh, everyone's fired. And I think by far the most likely, 65-70%, is that Frost is retained for an additional year and then required to make changes on that coaching staff. That's the one I would prefer. I mean... The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again without making changes. I'm not going to come on here and, and name specifics, at least not right now, of you know position coaches that, I mean, based on results, I think shouldn't be at Nebraska, just putting it bluntly, and players too. Not necessarily my place. Uh, if we get into it down the line after the season ends, we can. But changes need to be made on that staff. There are certain units that are currently operating just not up to, you know, a quality Big Ten team standard. Um, and, you know, they, these coaches might be good people. They might be good guys. I'm sure they are. But there are certain units that just aren't meeting expectations week in and week out. And, you know, you can do all the coaching and coach them up all you want. But at the end of the day, the best thing to do might be for change. I think that it has to be three. Otherwise, we're going to be sitting here, you know, 
in September of next year, and Nebraska's going to be one and three, and we're going to be like, okay, what are we doing? No, they won't be one and three because they'll beat Georgia Southern in North Dakota. But <laughs> we'll be sitting here maybe this time next year in October, and Nebraska's going to be, you know, three and five or three and six or something. And we're going to be like, well, there are no changes made. And guess what? We're in the exact same place. So it has to be three for me. Yeah. I, well, and then two, I mean, it's not making a. A full change on the coaching staff is probably not going to do a whole lot of wonders for the no. recruiting class uh, no. in 2022 that is already struggling. Even though, again, uh, Frost was asked about that yesterday, said a lot of that uh, will be filled through the transfer portal. So we'll see uh, how that goes down. Probably going to be a certain quarterback in the transfer portal. I don't think he'll end up coming here, but uh, I'm guessing Mr. Rattler will no longer be hanging out uh, in Soonerland come next year. So that'll do it for our football conversation by week in the books. We'll be back next week for Purdue. Coming up next, we'll discuss the top three, or at least for each of us, college football bets of the week. One, two, and you coming up next. Welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen alongside Landon Word. Time now for 1, 2, and you. And things will actually have to change a little bit this week. Uh, normally, we pick our top two, each of us, college football uh, betting lines of the week and the Nebraska game. Well, there is no Nebraska game this week. So what did we decide to do? We decided to pick our favorite and you that is not Nebraska. Uh, totally random. Totally random and you. Yeah, the rules there were... The school's abbreviation had to include an N and a U anywhere, so it, it, it wasn't just straight NU. Uh, like, for example, I, I chose Northern Illinois, NIU. Uh, but yeah, North Carolina State, New Mexico State, NMSU, NCSU, things like that. So we went from that pool, uh, and it was, it was a pretty fun exercise, so I enjoyed that for sure. Yes. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, I'm coming off a two-in-one week. Since an abysmal first three weeks on the year, I've uh, got myself up to 12-9. and nine. And Landon struggled last week again. 0-3, now 8-12-1 on the year. And, uh, yeah, just uh, sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, we'll get into this with my picks this week, but I'm very scared. Mainly because I have cursed two top five teams in back-to-back weeks. Uh, Alabama two weeks ago against AM. I picked them to cover their double-digit spread. They lost outright. Last week it was Iowa. I picked them to cover their double-digit spread. They lost outright. I am staying away from the top five this week, but I do have a top ten game uh, right in there, so we'll see what happens. Well, go for it. Top ten game, it is what? Oh, God. So I've refrained from doing this for six games, but... Game seven, I saw the opportunity, and it was too good to pass up. Oklahoma State, Iowa State, this Saturday at 2.30 on Fox in Ames. Um, yeah. So, my Cowboys have looked pretty good so far this season. I'm not going to say great, but it has been a pretty good start to the season. I was very impressed last week that Oklahoma State was able to go to Daryl K. Royal Stadium and just manhandle Texas for a better part of the second half. I say a better part because a long Bijan Robinson run did put Texas up 24-13, and I was starting to get very, very worried. But OSU's defense really just clamped the Longhorns, especially in the fourth quarter. Texas gained a yard, one yard, in the <laughs> fourth quarter. 
and Oklahoma State offensively was able to do enough to win. Jalen Warren has been spectacular for Oklahoma State this year, and in a lot of parallels to Nebraska, Oklahoma State's defense returned pretty much everybody from last year, and the unit was a pretty good one last year, and this year it's been even better. Get the the old mantra of the Mason Rudolph and Brandon Whedon teams that would score 55 points a night. Uh, those teams are long gone. This is an Oklahoma State team that resembles a Big Ten team in a lot of ways. Power running game, a quarterback who, you know, is pretty inoffensive, won't make the big plays and throw for the 400, 500-yard games, but is generally sound. He's a veteran. Uh, Spencer Sanders has his own turnover problems, but for the large part, he's not going to be asked to go win a game by himself. It's going to be reliant more on the offensive line and defense, so it's kind of like chucking a Big Ten team straight into to Big 12 football, and those results have been have been delivered so far this year. I would say that OSU may be a little bit more lucky than good right now, but that's neither here nor there. My argument is Oklahoma State should not be a seven-point underdog in Ames. I think that that's absolutely ridiculous and incredibly disrespectful to the team that OSU has put out this year. I haven't seen much uh, in terms of quotes from you know Gundy and players about the week, but I would have to imagine that they're you know, they wouldn't want it any other way than to be underdogs. Of course, OSU was underdogs last week at Texas. And on top of that, Oklahoma State's record against Iowa State's pretty good. Uh, Since 2011, the game that ruined my childhood when (laughs) Iowa State knocked Oklahoma State out of the BCS championship with a loss on the very last game of the regular season, OSU's only lost to Iowa State once. And I just think that this game's going to be a lot closer than seven points. So with that being said, I'm taking Oklahoma State plus seven. We've seemed to have the number of Brocktober, uh, even in Brocktober. I think also that Oklahoma State might win this game outright, although I'm, I'm sticking with plus seven as the main pick. I'm predicting Oklahoma State 26, Iowa State 20, but the central argument here is OSU plus seven, because seven points is way too big of an underdog for Oklahoma State to be. Well, I've got another disrespectful line um, myself Another 2:30 game as well over on ABC at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, Oregon, ranked number 10, and UCLA at five and two. And UCLA is a two-point favorite here. This blows my mind. UCLA barely put away Washington last week late. I know that was late, but come on, like most of you watched that, right? It was not super impressive. And okay, granted, Oregon has had their own struggles too. All right, they barely got past Cal, but a two-point underdog. I, it's really missed. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think Oregon wins outright. Uh, certainly, they'll cover that two point spread, and they win at 28 17. I, I just don't understand that. Yeah, Oregon did look really, really bad against Cal, though. I got to watch a majority of that uh, propped up in the hotel room in Minneapolis, and boy, did Oregon look just putrid. Uh, defense, especially. But. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, could be a, it's a, it's a huge spot either way uh, for the Ducks for sure. So I got Oregon twenty eight seventeen there over UCLA. Landon, your second pick. Yeah, uh, rolling with a surprise. So Pitt is ranked. Clemson is not. I find it hilarious. Uh, this game is being played at Pitt. I'm ninety eight percent positive of it. Um, Clemson's terrible. I I don't really have any other ways to sugarcoat this. Clemson really struggled to put away a terrible Syracuse team. Syracuse stinks. Uh, Last Friday at the Carrier Dome, I don't know what's happening with DJ Uyagule, but he looks really slow and bad in the pocket. 
Uh, Clemson was perhaps even fortunate to win against Syracuse. Uh, Dino Babers had some horrible clock management late in the game, and Syracuse missed a late field goal. Um, yeah, Pitt is a team in great form coming off a bludgeoning of Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. I like Pitt to win 27-17. Clemson's no good, and Pitt should have no problems covering the three-point spread. All right, my second pick of the week features, for the first time, the ranked UTSA Roadrunners coming at number 24, 7-0, 3-0 in Conference USA. They face La Tech, Louisiana Tech, in Ruston. And, okay, I know, everyone likes UTSA. It's cool. They're a cool story. I don't think they cover the six-and-a-half-point spread here. Louisiana Tech has played pretty well against several quality opponents. I think UTSA still wins 23-20, but this game is going to be a bit closer than six-and-a-half-point line. Again, Louisiana Tech 2-4, and four, but they were within one point of taking down Mississippi State. They lost by two to now rank SMU and only lost by a touchdown to NC State. This is a decent football team that's played some tough opponents, and I think they'll give UTSA a run for their money this weekend. Yeah, quick note on uh, UTSA with uh, Coastal Carolina aforementionedly losing on Wednesday night. There is now a very fascinating race developing for the group of five team to make a New Year's Six Bowl, assuming Cincinnati makes the playoffs. Uh, That race is going to be really fun to monitor in the coming weeks. UTSA is a team that's now ranked. San Diego State, SMU, uh, a bunch of other teams in the mix. That should be really fun to watch uh, down the stretch. And for the playoff storylines that are definitely there, one of the more interesting things that I'm following along with it, which is which group of five team can make that a New Year's Six game. It'd be really cool to see UTSA do it. All right, well, your NU is? Northern Illinois, Central Michigan. I know nothing about this game, but it's maction, and it's weird, and it's fun, so I am betting on it. Central Michigan is favored by five in this game. The things I know, Rocky Lombardi is Northern Illinois' quarterback. He beat Michigan at the big house in an empty big house last year. Um, That's fun. And Northern Illinois is undefeated in MAC play, so... You know, why not? Let's roll with the Northern Illinois five-point underdogs here. Uh, maybe they'll win outright. I'm not sure. I think they cover the number most definitely. Uh, I think they're the only undefeated team in MAC play. Uh, so I'm going to back the team that's won all of its MAC games against the team that hasn't. I think Central Michigan still wins, uh, but I'm going 33 to 30 there, and my pick is Northern Illinois plus five. Yeah, there's a couple of. There's at least one former. Uh, Nebraska high school player on that uh, Northern Illinois roster, Kate Haberman uh, from Westside. I'm trying to see actually where his season stats are. He's had a couple of really sweet plays this year in key spots. But Even I don't better. Know. This is good. This is good background knowledge for my, my Yeah, well, pick. I'm pretty sure he's on this team, and I, I'm trying to find him on this on the roster right now. Yeah, there he is. Two tackles on the year, but one of them was a really key fourth down stop. Uh, in in one of NIU's victories this year. So uh, West Side Kid and Nebraska Connection in your NU. So uh, bonus points (laughs) there for Landon. My NU is the quote-unquote real NU. Northwestern at Michigan. This is the big noon kickoff game on Fox. Poor Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. 23.5 point favorites are the Michigan Wolverines. And I really went back and forth on this line a lot because I feel like 23.5, it's like an Alabama, Georgia kind of line right here. And Northwestern did just beat Rutgers last week, and that in many ways is improvement for a team that did not look anywhere like near any Northwestern team I've ever seen when they came into Lincoln a couple of weeks ago. 
I still think Michigan covers this line here. 38-3, Harbaugh off a bye. It's a really, really good defense against a putrid Northwestern offense. I don't know how much Michigan get get done on the offensive side, but I think they're going to be in short field situations often. They win at 38-3 and cover the 23.5-point number. Yeah, if Michigan can run the ball like it's been in previous weeks, I, I agree. Uh, Harbaugh just needs to take the ball out of the quarterback's hands sometimes and just let the running game just dominate early and then coast. So I think that definitely is a thing that could happen. But again, kind of like with Iowa, Michigan can also win 24-3 to and just be make everyone sad and not cover that number. All right, well, Landon off an 0-3 week goes with... Two dogs uh, and a favorite, Oklahoma State, to cover the seven-point number against Iowa State. Clemson will fall to Pitt. Pitt will cover the spread at home. And then uh, Northern Illinois, uh, five-point dog, they'll win there. For me, I'm 12-9 and nine after a two-and-one week last week. And I've got Oregon as an underdog against UCLA, a two-point dog. UTSA uh, will win, but they will fail to cover that six-and-a-half points red and then Michigan is a 23 and a half point favorite to cover so there are our picks here on Scarlet Fever Grant Hansen alongside Landon Wirt when we come back we'll discuss Husker volleyball and Nebraska women's soccer as the Huskers are starting to wrap up their season this week you're listening to Scarlet Fever All right, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen here alongside Landon Wirt. And it's time now to talk a little bit of Nebraska women's athletics. And it's been a while since we've talked Nebraska women's soccer. Uh, did cap off a nice win against Wisconsin last week uh, on Senior Day. If I remember correctly, it was Senior Day. And that was a big win for this team. But they've struggled since the beginning of the year. And now to the end of the year, they have a chance to finish strong against a couple of opponents, Illinois and Minnesota, this week. Yeah, uh, really, really disappointing year, uh, to put it bluntly, for Nebraska women's soccer. You know, the start of the season was so productive, and that peak, uh, it's crazy to think that the peak of this team's season was in September, on September 5th, but it was, uh, and that 3-0 dominating victory over Loyola Chicago. The Ramblers are a team that has gone back to the Missouri Valley Conference just dominated, or, yeah, MVC, and dominated. They're still on track to earn that conference's NCAA tournament bid, which is crazy to think that now Nebraska sits at 5-9-2 and two and 1-5-2 and two in conference, and yet they have this resounding victory over an NCAA tournament team. But from there, I mean, the wheels really, really have fallen off. Uh, prior to the Wisconsin game, Nebraska had gone winless for 1-2 three, four, five, six, seven, eight matches. Uh, And the most recent of that stretch was one that I felt was a microcosm of Nebraska's season. The Huskers lost four to three to Iowa last Thursday, November or October 14th. It was pretty much a microcosm of Nebraska's season because the first half is incredible. Nebraska's young talent shows up. Eleanor Dale, Sarah Weber, Weber scores two goals in the first half. Nebraska leads 3-0 in 30 minutes. The defense holds for the most part. Iowa did score late on. But then in the second half, Nebraska just falls apart. Uh, Iowa Iowa came all the way back from down 3-0 to win 4-3. The Hawkeyes scored three times in the second half. Iowa had 11 total shots on goals on goal. 
Nebraska had no answer and looked pretty much punchless. It's really just been something that that inconsistency, even from game to game, uh, is something that we've seen all season from them, and it really reared its ugly head there. So after such a bad loss like that that can really just be uber demoralizing, it was good on them to go out and get a win against a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team in Wisconsin that'll be fighting for an NCAA tournament appearance. And, you know, another young goal scorer leads the way with Eleanor Dale. It was an ugly game, uh, but it was good for Nebraska to finally come out on top of those cl- in a close match. Uh, match tonight, uh, I believe against Illinois and Minnesota on Sunday. How do you look at those two matches playing out, and where do you see? Well, yeah, just start there. How do you see these matches playing out this week? This yeah, week uh, it's a good opportunity for Nebraska to finish its regular season strong. Illinois and Minnesota are not world beaters. They're two teams uh, in the basement of the Big Ten alongside the Huskers. Nebraska doesn't have any shot of reaching the Big Ten tournament, I don't think, but wins against... Uh, you know, closing the season with with wins against Illinois and Minnesota would would go a long way in uh, in helping Nebraska uh, just morale wise heading into next year. Uh, only eight teams make the conference tournament, so Nebraska's been long eliminated after uh, its its lengthy losing skid. But you know, if you come out here with two wins, which I think Nebraska has is very well within its rights to win both, uh, that'll be a nice little little building piece of sorts uh, moving forward. But it really is another uh, down year. Looking back here at past seasons, oh wait, I don't have internet here at the J School. Uh, but Nebraska's now ripped off a couple of losing seasons in a row, uh, if memory serves. So something is going to need to change moving forward uh, on that front, whether it's attention to detail or, or something of the like. But close the season with two wins and then regroup, go back to the drawing board and see where you can improve next year. Yeah, where do you think they can improve next year. You, again, a lot of young talent. You did lose your goalkeeper at the beginning of the year to, yeah. to an injury. How, how do things set up next year for the Huskers? Yeah, the biggest thing is, man, one-goal games. We talk about football and it's one-possession losses a lot, and soccer, the energy at Memorial Stadium seems to have translated over to, to Hibner Stadium as well. Of Nebraska's nine losses, eight have been by one goal, which is just absolutely absurd. And You know, we talk about football not finding a way to come away with victories in these one-possession games. Eventually, you're tied. Your luck will turn, and Nebraska soccer will figure out a way to win these one-goal games. But right now, for whatever reason, it just hasn't been able to either finish matches or come away with the late moment uh, to tie and send matches to overtime. But, yeah, uh, the big thing for Nebraska that it'll need to work on moving forward is figuring out ways to come across victorious in one-score games, which is why that Wisconsin match on senior day, that win, might be beneficial for them moving forward. Just to see, like, oh, hey, we can actually do this and and come across victorious in these tight matches. So hopefully that'll be a little bit of a building block for the team as it concludes the regular season. We'll watch that closely as they do close out the regular season this week. Again, match against Illinois today as we record it on Thursday, as you will hear it on Friday. It'll already be in the books in Minnesota on Sunday to round out the year. Let's turn our attention now to Husker Volleyball. Another win last night over Iowa, but it was pretty competitive throughout. Uh, again, back and forth we go with that battle between Batenhorst and Sun for that extra outside hitting spot. So we saw some of that last night too. Either way, Huskers get the win. They're fifteen and three. They won nine in a row, and are nine and zero in conference play. But the meat of the schedule upcoming. Yeah, uh, Nebraska is doing what it should right now. Um, when analyzing the Big Ten slate, I mean, the expectation was the front half was going to be a lot easier, spare Penn State, and then it was really going to pick up. 
towards the back half, and boy does it with Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota in consecutive weeks. Yikes, that is a slate and a half. But Nebraska looks good. Uh, Iowa, of course, is going to be competitive, especially a team that's hungry to finally beat Nebraska for the first time ever. Um, and, yeah, uh, they made Iowa, the, Iowa made Nebraska work uh, a bit, but at the end of the day, Nebraska's horses came out to play and the, the players that needed to perform and, and step up in big moments in that match did. Nebraska's doing what it's supposed to be doing right now and doing its job, but now comes the real Big Ten test. And for all the tinkering John Cook's done with lineups and the position battles that we've seen, they've kind of worked themselves out and they've been on display at times in these these matches, these sweeps. But now it's going to be really time to see what's going to work and how Nebraska's going to look and will the tinkering, you know, will what's it going to look like when the lights are the biggest in, in these big, big, big time Big Ten matches? Yeah, I, I think everything is pretty much set at this point. The only battle truly that remains is Lexi Sun and Allie Batenhorst to that right side and or, or one of those outside hitting spots. And, you know, Batenhorst has proven that she can really take over a match at times. She did it against Penn State on the road, but... She's also had some major struggles last night. Five kills, but five errors as well on 20 attacks. Hit for zero. Um, and, you know, but Lexi Sun came in in the third set and didn't produce a whole lot more. And John Cook says he wants to see more out of both of them if he can. Yeah, uh, that battle is going to be something to monitor. Uh, it would be nice for Nebraska to have, have that established. Uh, pretty important position. But, you know, it, it's good that you have options there. Batenhorst is obviously a great player, highly touted recruit, done some good things, but still adjusting to the collegiate game. And then Lexi Sun is your established veteran. So that's going to be something to monitor. And, uh, you well, know. And then, and then Cubic, the good thing is Cubic on the other side. Yeah, you got to Set her 30 times, roughly last night, 33, 35 times. Uh, yeah. Averaging a ridiculous five kills per set yeah, over the last Yeah, 19 kills weeks. last night. Or that was against Illinois. Sorry. Yeah, 19 kills against Illinois last night. I think 13. she had 13. Yeah, still good. Uh, so, you know, she's consistently been in double-digit kills, back-to-back Big Ten Player of the Week. And so it's a good thing that once you, you know, you're struggling to finish one outside spot out, uh, but one is very obviously locked down. Yeah, that's that's good to have a player like her on the other side that you can go to when one side is looking a little bit less consistent. Kayla Caffey makes her return last night as well from illness, so the middles are back. Everybody should be healthy as they go into Purdue, and you talk about the Huskers taking care of business. Well, you look at a lot of the contenders in the Big Ten, and almost every single one of them has experienced a shocking upset of some kind. Wisconsin got upset earlier in the schedule by uh, Maryland. They've been pushed by Illinois. Uh, Then you see Michigan State last night taking down Nebraska's next opponent, Purdue. Luckily, Nebraska has not suffered a loss yet like that, like some of these other Big Ten contenders have. Minnesota's had some struggles as well. Yeah, um, it really is surprising to see that. Um, And yeah, the Big Ten has been way more, you know, it seems in in past years the Giants are the Giants and they'll beat each other up. But now this year we're seeing an influx of some teams, you know, lower down in the conference pecking order coming away with these shock upsets. And, you know, we say that, yes, Nebraska's, you know, oh, the sweep's not much to talk talk about here. But at the same time, like, it's handling the business it's supposed to handle. So that's something that, you know, there are still opportunities for that to kind of slip, you know, after Nebraska goes through this stretch of playing Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota. There there are some letdown opportunities. So Nebraska isn't out of the woods yet, I would say. But so far it is a good sign that the Huskers are handling business, I would have to say. Yeah, it's a big stretch here, and we're going to find out a lot about where this team is at, truly. They've taken care of business against the middle and bottom part of the Big Ten, and now they got to face 
the real real contenders. Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, the next three games. Two of those three are at home, uh, so including the next two matches, Saturday at Purdue and then Wednesday. Uh, we're Saturday hosting Purdue and then Wednesday hosting Wisconsin. So big stretch ahead for Nebraska. And again, a nice win last night against Iowa. Pretty competitive throughout. And But, you know, like John Cook said, everybody's good in the Big Ten. Everybody's going to push you, and Purdue found that out when they lost to Michigan State in five sets last night. So that's going to do it for us uh, here on Scarlet Fever. We talked a lot today, despite the bye week. Shared our best things that we saw. Husker football's loss to Minnesota. We dove into our new NUs this week in 1-2-NU. Uh, Each of our picks were made earlier in the episode, and then we talked Husker women's soccer and Husker volleyball. We'll be back with you next week to preview Nebraska's matchup against Purdue, talk about Husker volleyball's first of three difficult matches, that one being against Purdue as well. Um, This time that one will be in the past, however. So we'll talk about that. And coming up either this week or next, we'll dive into Husker men's hoops. It is time we're just two weeks away, two and a half, three weeks away from the start of the season there, and a couple of scrimmages coming up next week against Peru State, uh, and then Colorado on Halloween. So for Landon Wirt, I'm Grant Hanson. Thank you so much for joining us this week. You've been listening to Scarlet Beaver.